Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastPro, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout, which helps coaches create clean, professional scout reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Hello, I'm head coach Donnie Jones here at uh, Stetson University, and we're excited today. Another great day of basketball here on the, on the Hatter Clinic here on Wednesday. Uh, we had a great conversation last week here with Coach Billy Donovan and Oklahoma City Thunder, and, and we're so excited about our guest here today as, as someone who's, who's been one of us as well, who's started off in high school and worked his way all the way up to the college ranks, and, and what incredible job he's done for the Orlando Magic, bringing back their winning ways, uh, making them a playoff contender, and just continuing to grow his culture there and his impact. And uh, I've had the great opportunity to, to watch him when he was an assistant with Stan Van Gundy uh, when I was at UCF and uh, was so impressed with, with him as an assistant. And it's been fun to watch his coaching career just continue to grow. And uh, we're excited to have him with us. And uh, Coach Sir's with us, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to Coach Sir here to get us started. And we've got some great questions, some incredible knowledge, and feel free to uh, send in your questions here, and and uh, we'll look to share some of those uh, as we go. So, uh, we'll welcome Coach Brendan Sir. Good morning, Coach. You know, one of the things, Steve, uh, 
about uh, your journey and uh, you know coming out of Maine. Uh, you know we have only we have two NBA coaches that are from the great state of Maine. You and Brett Brown. How the hell did that happen? I'm not sure, but you know, yeah. As as a sidebar, uh, you may know this, Brendan, because uh, you're a junkie. Brett's dad, Bob Brown. Uh, in northern New England is like John Wooten. I mean, he's an absolute legend. He won state championships as a high school coach, I believe, in three different decades. And I worked for him. Coach Brown is one of my mentors. I worked for him both at a Division II school, St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, and then also at Boston University. And uh, Brett's dad was a former Patino assistant at BU, where Brett played. Um, so Brett and I go way, way back to where, you know, when I was working for his dad. You know, uh, the, the thing, uh, our mutual friend, Pat Riley, he once described when I was at dinner with him and Chuck Daly, he, just, he, he said to Chuck, I'm never going to be like you. You're going to be, you're a lifer, Chuck. But here you are, you're a lifer too. And it's a proud word, I think. It's a great word. Uh, you've always been a coach, so my question to you is, why do you coach? Oh, I'm, I'm, I think like most people, I think, one, it keeps you young, you know? I mean, I think uh, the, the, the competition, um, the challenge of finding ways to get better, I think being adaptable uh, as players have changed over the years, um, which I know for, you know, high school and college coaches, uh, the challenges are much different now than they were a few years ago. And the same in our league. Uh, the younger players are definitely have a different mindset um, than they did a few years ago. So I think as, as much as anything, it's the competition, um, the challenge of growing, you know, as a coach every year. Um, and then, you know, again, it's just uh, uh, trying to be adaptable as we go along here so you can continue to know how to communicate with players in the best way. Donnie. Yes, Coach, uh, you know, obviously you had a chance in high school play for your dad. And, uh, and, and I'm sure you, you, you had a lot of things you learned, not only in your house, but also on the, on the court. But what, what are a couple of the things in, in your early career that's helped you even where you're at now in the NBA and you've been around some incredible coaches in, in your journey? What are some of the, the qualities you could give a young coach out there that's listening right now that, that really stuck with you all the way back to the days playing for your dad? Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm northern New England, small town, you know, my, and, uh, a lot of people in my family, they worked in the woods, they worked in the pulp and paper mills. Um, and so that was kind of the mindset that my dad took as a coach, you know, and um, I would say growing up, the one thing I learned as a high school coach, he had pr predominantly the same staff for I think he coached at the same high school for like 30 years. Wow. And one of the things that he did was to uh, – he always talked about execution of fundamentals. He talked all the way up, fourth grade up through, you have to execute the fundamentals. So when we were in fourth grade, all the way up to when you played varsity, we played all man-to-man -man defense and everybody ran all motion, even mm -hmm. when we were young. He had a series of drills. We used to call them Togo drills after a guy named Togo Palazzi, who was a mm -hmm. former uh, – coach at Holy Cross and uh, 
So we used to have everybody ran motion to learn how to play. And then he, my father, he actually ran the flex with a bunch of different uh, entries and counters. And actually, a lot of years played the multiples. He was he had a relationship with Coach Massimino. And, uh, you know, when the ball was long side out of bounds, we were 1-3-1. One, one. After a basket, you know, we might be 2-2-1. Two, two, uh, we played a man-to-man too, but we played the multiples. So I learned mm-hmm. that, you know, that was how I was brought up uh, in terms of learning how to build, you know, a program where fundamentals were everything. I think the other thing is, you know, I was a marginal Division three player at a little school named Maine Farmington, uh, played for a great coach here, a guy named Len McPhee. Uh, and my freshman year, when I went there, you know, I could tell right away that the, our best player was a point guard. That's what I was. And I was scared about playing time. I remember calling my dad and saying, like, I've got to find a way in practice here or I'm not going to play at all. And he said, well, start, start with the things you can do. Win every sprint. Win every sprint. And as you guys know, back then, we ran a lot in practice. You know, suicides, double suicides you know, those cross courts for a minute, for 30 seconds. You'd practice, you'd sprint, you'd practice, you'd sprint. And uh, that's the way he thought, and that's what I did. You know, like my third day of practice, and all the way through my senior year, by the end, they all knew is, you know, I tried to win every sprint there for four years. So that was kind of the way I was brought up. Um, I think, uh, you know, you work to get better, you try to make progress, and uh, I think is of the many lessons I lot from uh, learned from my dad. That's how it started. That's great stuff, Coaster. Go ahead. Great stuff. You no, know, when uh, you finally, after all your years of being an assistant in college, you became a head coach at Adelphi, which I know real well out in Long Island, a really neat D two program. And you know, talk about how you met the and then how you ended up going to work for him with the Knicks. So um, when I was playing in Maine, and Brendan, you know this, I used to work like a lot of college players do camps in the summer around New England. And Brendan Malone, you know, who you worked with for years with the Pistons, used to run a camp at Colby College in Waterville, Maine, with a guy named Dick Whitmore, uh, another guy named Dick Meade, two very successful Division Three coaches. So Coach Malone became very much a mentor to me. And uh, I used to work the camp three, four weeks in the summer. I got to know Coach Malone. And so when I graduated and he knew I wanted to be a coach, he got me into five-star. So I used to work five-star at Honesdale. And he got me into Jim Beheim's camp. And Jeff uh, had the station right beside mine. So I was a high school varsity coach uh, in Maine. And he was the coach at Jesuit McQuaid in Rochester. And we hit it off and always stayed in touch. But, and and I'll, I'll say this as a sidebar. When I got the Adelphi job, and I think this happens for a lot of young coaches, is I got the job because I had recruited New York for a long time. And they wanted to hire someone there who had recruited New York. And so like everybody else, I got the job. And I think we had enough money to bring four players in. And I spent the whole summer recruiting. And I'll never forget, it was early August. And I finally sat down and said, okay, what are we going to do on offense? And what are we going to do on defense? You know, because so much of being a college assistant is recruiting. And that's what I had been doing. And I had worked for uh, 
bunch of really terrific coaches who had coached in so many different ways. And so I called Jeff and I said, you know, can I talk to you? And we sat down and, and he said two things, which I've never forgotten. One, don't talk to the team every day. You don't need to bring them in a circle and say, hey, we got to work hard today and you need to be coachable. They know that. They know that. And the more you talk to them when you don't really have a specific message, I don't care how dynamic a speaker you are, the less impact you're going to have later in the year when you really need them to listen. And I've never forgotten that. That's how I still coach today. That's how he coaches and that's how Stan coached. If you didn't have something to say, just practice. You got something to say, when you sit them down, they're going to know, okay, this is important. I need to lock in here. The second thing he told me, which I did, and I still do this every year, is have a leadership statement. Don't share it with anybody else, but have a leadership statement. And I keep mine here with the magic right in my desk. And, it, and, you know, I did it like he did. If you asked one of our players about me, I would want them to say, Steve does this, Steve does this, you know, Steve does this. And the most important part, I think, today in terms of the leadership part, and it's the number one thing I would want our players to say about me is, is he wants me to do well. I don't think there's anything more important, especially with younger players today, whether they're in the playing group, getting enough shots, happy with their role, unhappy with the role, is I think the number one thing you have to do today is try to constantly develop the most effective way you can communicate with each individual player. Um, and obviously, it's easier in our league. You know, we're not recruiting. I'm not worried about academics. You know, I'm not worried about what they're doing as much off the court. Uh, but that's, for me, that's one of the many things I got from Jeff. Stan's great at communicating with players also. Uh, but I think, to me, that's where the whole thing starts. Coach, your, uh, your identity sometimes in college. Um, sometimes, I know we're college guys right now, and, and uh, I'm a big fan of the NBA uh, and, and what happens in watching it is you sometimes get labeled as a recruiter uh, or you sometimes they're bringing you in for some kind of specialty. But when you go to the NBA, uh, kind of like you, uh, you, you've kind of been labeled as a defensive guru. A guy can come in defensively, and, and that is something that you're known for. How, how do you get an identity uh, as a coach? Uh, sometimes it's interesting that we get developed that. Is that based on the success you've had from a defensive standpoint, which you've had a lot? Uh, but you bring that identity, obviously, to the Magic last year, and that's what you did when you went to Charlotte. And that's really what Stan and Jeff have had that identity as well. Uh, is that something that, that you really let people know that's who you are, or that's something that you really took pride in exemplifying your identity uh, as a coach? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in some ways, that's a great question. And I do think in some ways, uh, what do they say? You know, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think that as a coach, you know, a lot of times uh, being, uh, you know, associated with one part of the game can be a real negative too. You know, like I actually, in my time in Charlotte, uh, I think, you know, five years, I think we were top 10 in defense, maybe four of those. But really, where we made the most gains in our best year, we had one year we lost, we won 48 games. 
you know, with a pretty good team and had a great first round seven game loss to Miami with Wade and those guys in the first round. Um, but we were ninth in offense. And I think my last three years there, we were like ninth, maybe 12th and 13th, you know, with teams that, you know, we played well offensively. Um, so I think just like anything is, I know this, in the way the game is today, balance wins. You know, like mm-hmm. in our league, to win in the playoffs, you got to be good at offense and good at defense. Most of the times, the teams, and this goes back like 20 years, that are successful in the playoffs are usually top 10 in either offense or defense and usually top 15 in the other. And you've got to get to balance play now. Um, and I think along with it, it's the same thing for players. I just had a conversation with one of our, you know, younger players the other day. And it's a tough one because his chance, in my opinion, is to be a defender. You know, he's a little bit limited offensively. And yet he had the great thing to me. He said, you always say in order to win big in this league, we've got to play well at both ends and you guys have to be two-way players. And that's Mm -hmm. what I know I need to be. And as you know, those conversations with guys, you know, you don't let me shoot. Why are we working on my shooting all the time? Those types of conversations. But he really, you know, he, it, it was a good conversation. Um, and I think just like players, I mean, coaches, you know, it, it's good to have success in a certain area. Um, but I know winning big most of the time, at least in our league, is you want to be known as obviously a guy that can coach everything. You know, and I think that's mm-hmm. one of the challenges for all of us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, when, uh, Steve, when I was coaching with Mike Fratello with the Atlanta Hawks, we hired w- the great Willis Reed to be an assistant coach, one of the great assistants of all time. Talk about presence, you know. And, okay, you go work with the big guys. Okay, that was pretty good to have him down there. But I remember when we were getting ready for the playoffs and we had Doc Rivers and Randy Whitman and Dominique Wilkins, all these guys. and Fratello is a great defensive coach, UB Brown style. And Willis says, who is a great defender, says, guys, we're not going to win in the playoffs unless we outscore the opponent. <laughs> and and I, now all of a sudden it changed my thinking of all of a sudden you have to outscore the guy you play against. I watch you at, in practice at training camp, which I love and I appreciate you letting me come and Donnie come, but I think you do as good a job as I've ever seen teaching using – the way you teach before practice, explain how you do that. I think it's a masterful way of teaching. Um, well, I, I think it's, it's, I think at every level, you know, I, I coached in high school and coached in college, obviously as an assistant, as a head coach. And I think starting practice is so difficult. I think it's the hardest thing to do to get players loose and then, get them the the two most important things to me are their concentration and their intensity, you know? And um, one of the things that I got to hear um, that we do, and as you guys saw almost every day, is one of my assistants is Pat Delaney, who worked for Coach Mm -hmm. Riley for years in Miami. And we do a series of three-on-o offense where we teach just the fundamentals. And it's the fundamentals of one day it may be a high pick and roll. The next day it might be dribble handoff. It could be flash game. It could be, you know, Poston Busevich or Aaron Gordon. 
we just break down different components of our offense with the fundamentals. And then for 12 minutes, you know, he, we, we use, uh, you know, assistant coaches, you guys saw they jump in and defend it different ways. So we're starting to, you know, read the defense and get loose. And it's all about three-quarter speed. But I like, for me personally, I like stuff like that a lot more than I do a full-court passing drill or yeah. something because I just think it makes them get – their concentration has to get up quicker. Um, and it's a good way to start them, you know, the whole, like, learning the system and getting reps with the fundamentals. Um, I think you guys would agree. I don't care what level it is. The, the players and the teams that are fundamentally sound and play with purpose win, you know, and it's the same at our level. And I think starting off a practice with fundamentals and teaching like that sets a good tone. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Coach, if you, uh, you know, the times are a little different here, as we all know, as we're having some time to spend together right now because of it. Uh, but if, if you were a college coach again, uh, you've been a, obviously a pro coach here for a while now and, knowing your experience going back and you didn't have a summer back in our days in the early days, there wasn't summer school. The fall was such an important time for us as you know, I remember being a young assistant. One of my roles, I was the preseason strength and conditioning coach. So the first four weeks we were on the track and we were doing innovative stuff to try to get guys in shape before October 15th. Well, it looks like that's the route we're headed at this point again in college athletics. If you went back with a short, time to turn your team around and have a chance to play November and come back in August, what would be your mindset with, with, with putting stuff in for your team right now? Would it be a lot of five on five stuff, less breakdown stuff because of time? you got to get your team ready to play. And for instance, we have 11 freshmen and sophomore. How could you simplify it and get your team ready in a short period of time? What would be your approach? Knowing what you know, in the pros now going back to college. Yeah, I, I mean, um, in the NBA, as you guys know, you, you can't break down a ton every day. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they want to, they, they'll do stuff five on O oh and five on five. And so that's more how I'm geared. Uh, you know, even I was the head coach at Adelphi for four years. And to be honest with you, by the end, even there, most of our practices were five on five. You know, I remember going to hear Coach Bennett um, speak, Dick Bennett, and he was saying the game is played five on five, and that's where they need the reps, playing five on five. Um, mm -hmm. So there, I used to run a lot of motion. We were very conceptual, and we had five on all things that we did, but we played a ton of, you know, just five on five and talked about, you know, read the defense, screen better, get your setups pass the ball on target, um, all of those kinds of things. The other part I like about getting to it is, you know, what I find is, um, or what I know I did at Adelphi, because it was my first experiences, by the time we would get to five on five, they didn't have their best energy level and concentration. You know, some days, when I first started my first year, I would do so many drills. I'd work for, you know, I'm, I'm sure like a lot of guys, you work for all these different coaches. You know, I worked for a guy, he just got in, you guys may, may know him, Keith Dixon, he's the head coach at St. Anselm College, Division Two, and he just got named as the decade, you know, National Decade Division Two Coach of the Year. 
And he's a great coach. He's been there. Uh, he and I worked together for Coach Brown, and then he kept me on, and I worked for him. And, uh, you know, he was all motion. I worked for Coach Brown. He was flex. I worked for Mitch Bonagura, Brendan, at Fairfield. We yeah. ran a lot of set plays, like Coach Massimino. And I worked for Bob Byer at Siena. We did the blocker mover. So like a lot of young guys, I had played for coaches where we played man-to-man. Um, at Siena, we played some of the Michigan State matchup. Um, but no matter what, you have all these drills, and then all of a sudden it's, you're an hour and 45 minutes in, and they're drilled out, and you try to go five on five. And to me, they just don't have, you know, the right concentration level. So I was done at Adelphi. Um, you know, we had a series of buildup defensively, and uh, then we played a ton of five on five, either in the half court or with the transition and back. And I would definitely, I, I think players like to get to it. And the quicker you play five on five in practice, the better their concentration and intensity is. Awesome. You, had a, you know, Steve, you guys had a great run with Stan Van Gundy at, with the Magic. And then all of a sudden, as what happens with us assistant coaches sometimes, your head coach either gets released, retires, et cetera. And now we're out in the wind, okay, because our contract's tied to him or our contract's up. You found yourself in that position, but you landed with a, fran a great franchise, the Los Angeles Lakers. Talk about that experience. Uh, I mean, I've been so blessed. Like, all the, you know, Jeff, Stan, the guys I worked with, other assistants, the guys that the players I've been able to watch, uh, you know, closely. Um, but that year for me, uh, you know, Kobe, Steve Nash, Pau Gasol, Dwight, Howard, you know, who's coming from here too, and, and Meta, um, just, just incredible learning experience. And I was hired by Mike Brown, um, you know, who I didn't really know all that well. And we remain close friends to this day. And then he was let go five games into the season. And then they, you know, Bernie Bickerstaff coached uh, five games. Uh, he was one of the other assistants and a great, great coach and a great man. And then they hired Mike D'Antoni. And so uh, I got to work for both Mike Brown and learn a lot. Um, and then worked for Mike D'Antoni, and he and I remain really good friends now. Uh, so there were so many from working with uh, a bunch of other assistant coaches who I didn't really know well at all. Eddie Jordan was on that staff, Darvin Ham, uh, and uh, Phil Handy. And, uh, and then, but to, to have a chance, to be honest, to just be around Kobe and Steve and Powell uh, and watch them. You know, as veteran players who obviously had had uh, phenomenal careers uh, and have a chance to spend time and talk to them, you just learn so much basketball. Talk about that Kobe mentality. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I see a lot of it watching The Last Dance. Um, I yeah. see a lot of the same similarities that, that Michael has. Um, you know, Kobe was, in my opinion, the guys I've been around anyway, he was the most passionate, committed player uh, to winning. You know, he was on a mission every day and every night. And 
I think you see that with Michael. I mean, people always say about Michael, he wanted to show everybody in the building every night he was the best player that had ever played. And that's how Kobe was. You know, it didn't matter who you were playing or where it was. He expected to play well. He expected to win. Uh, he was tough on everybody. He was demanding of coaches. He was demanding of his teammates. But he was most demanding of himself. And I see those same things when you're watching Michael in the last dance. Absolutely. Danny? Yeah, Coach, um, you know, you go from college and you go into the NBA. Uh, what was the biggest adjustment for you your, that first year coming from a college mentality? As we know, we have to coach a little different in college and, and making the adjustment to being an NBA coach. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, and I think, Brendan, you'd agree, is we, just what you said, Donnie, is, is it's how you um, approach the players. You know, and the way, you know, one of the guys that helped me a lot, Don Chaney was an assistant on that staff. He helped me. But Tom Thibodeau just took me under his wing and really taught me, like, how to be an NBA assistant. And Jeff explained it to me. He said two things to me before our first training camp. One, if they ask you a question and you're not sure, say, I'm not sure. I'll find out. Don't just guess. They'll they'll you'll lose all credibility with these guys. The second thing is when you start working with players, he said, you have to understand some of these guys have played for a great high school coach, a great college coach, and then maybe three great NBA coaches. So when you step out and you start working with a guy, you better know his background, who he's played for and what he's trying to do in a workout. You have to plan for these workouts just like you did practice at Adelphi. And that, to me, is the biggest difference. Um, you know, you're going to my, – my first year, for instance, uh, uh, the first summer with the Knicks, I remember we, we picked up Clarence Witherspoon. And uh, Jeff wanted me to, to go. He was in Jackson, Mississippi, and I went down there for two weeks and worked him out. And before I left, he and Tom both told me, he had played for Pat Riley, I think Don Nelson, but you, you know, like four great NBA coaches. And, you know, he was a veteran player and he'd been around. So they said, you better watch film and know his game. So when you start saying in the post, I notice you do this, this, and this, you need to be right and practice and, you know, plan accordingly. Um, and, you know, that's what I did. And I ended up having a good, good experience with working with them. But when guys have been coached by so many different coaches, you can't just step out there. It happens here with these guys. And you say, hey, we're going to guard the high pick and roll this way. And then it, as Brendan will tell you, the first three times it doesn't work, they're not saying, hey, Steve, what do I have to do to get better? They come to the bench and say, let's change the coverage. You know, and you better be ready to either say, this is why we're not changing it or sub or do something. But, you know, that's where your credibility as a coach is all going to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a great answer. I totally agree with everything you said. My wife, however, would answer it differently. Steve, she said the biggest adjustment was the paycheck. That's what she would have said. <laughs> College <laughs> pro, you know, and she also says it now working with Donnie, but that we won't go there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, people don't understand the first job when they come into the NBA, I had, you had, was as an advanced scout. 
by far, my opinion, the hardest job in the NBA, not even close, okay? Talk about what you do as an advanced scout in the NBA and how that takes your level of learning to another degree. Oh, I mean, it, it's, it, I agree. There, there, were, there were times, as you know, early in the year, the first time you go through um, the league, I remember, I think my most, I, the most nights in a row is I did one stretch of, I think it was 17 nights, 17 different cities, 17 games. And the worst part for me is I'm terrible with the computer, and I was then, is when the game ends, you know, then you got to get the stats and you have to yeah. go back to your room. And, you know, you're up till 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock. You email, back then you emailed it back in. Um, and then, you know, I always took the first flight the next morning. So yeah. um, now on the flip side, and Jeff had told me this and it's so true, it's a coaching clinic every night if you want it to be, you know, and uh, – my year with the Knicks as an advanced scout, Larry Brown was in Philly. Um, Coach Riley was coaching in Miami. Um, just the, you know, the level of coaching was, was just incredible. And uh, you, it's, it's the best way, in my opinion, to learn the NBA, you know, mm -hmm. other, than, other than you literally don't sleep. But except for that, it's a, it's a good life. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, what you do is you'd learn 29 other systems besides your own. And, 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 and you only focus the game you're at, let's say, on those two teams or the one team you're really focused on. And you come away. And, and our great friend, Brendan Malone, I remember when he and Chuck and I were working together in Detroit, he ended up having to do most of the advanced stuff because we only had two full-time people on our staff, no part-time, no scouts. Now we have like, the football staff, you know, at, at the power five schools and NBA. So Brendan would go out and he would see Patino coach in New York and he would come back and tell Chuck, we need to press. <laughs> and Chuck would say, do you want me to put Lambeer at the front of the press or the back of the press? Where do you want me to put Mohorn? But he was so enthused about who he was scouting or he would scout Doug Moe in Denver and say, let's come back and let's run the passing game. You know, because you start – you believe in what you're seeing and it's a great way to learn the game. Yeah. You, you know, the other one with coach Malone and I always go back to this now, I'm sure he used to say it with you guys, as you know, I mean, he has his, I think he has his masters um, in like uh, education philosophy, right. From NYU, something like that. Mm -hmm. So his big thing, and yes. he always used to say this to me when I was in Charlotte, are you teaching the why? Are you telling them the why? Make sure they understand the why, you know? And I still think about that all the time now when I'm planning practice. Coach, you've been around a lot of great teams mm -hmm. and, and now have the opportunity and some great coaches, as you're talking about right now. What's a couple qualities in some of those teams when you sit and you look at uh, and reflect uh, that, that, that really stood out to you in, in having great teams? Yeah. Um, the better teams, you know, we had obviously good, you know, so when I first got to New York, we were very good. Uh, Houston, we won 52 of the four years with there. You know, we had uh, Tracy, McGrady, Yao Ming, uh, mm -hmm. Shane Battier, Juwan Howard. We had good teams. We just happened to be – our teams in Houston were so good. But, unfortunately, that's when San Antonio was 
you know, Robinson, Duncan, a young Ginobili, a young Parker, Sean Elliott a little bit. They were so good. Phoenix with Nash and those guys. And then that's when Dirk and Jason Kidd and those guys were in Dallas. And the West was just ridiculous. So we were really good, but we never really – we never made a deep playoff run. Uh, the teams here where Dwight was, you know, just just ridiculous. You know, I mean, the way he dominated the game. And I would say of all those plays, though, I'll get, all those teams, I'll get back to the same thing. We were balanced. Mm-hmm. We, they knew they had to be good at both offense and defense to go deep in the playoffs. And they had an attitude of making progress every day. Mm-hmm. Whether we practiced 45 minutes or two hours, they knew – that it was important that even over an 82-game schedule, it's all about how much better you can get. And, you know, I remember one year here, Stan, I I have some notes I was looking at the other day as we lost to uh, the Lakers the year they beat us in the finals. And the next day he showed them film. And then before we went on the floor, he said, hey, they beat us last night, you know, and now we have two and a half months before it could be for real. It doesn't matter who wins now. It matters what our approach is about getting better in case we get a chance to play them again. And I think all of those teams, and all good teams at any level, I think those are the biggest components. Coach, would you say with that, you know, I know those teams we had at one back-to-back national championships, we became a player-led team. Uh, Obviously, coaches were speaking the language, but the players start speaking your language without you talking. And, and I would say probably a lot of those teams uh, had those qualities, uh, I'm sure, that you were a part of as well. 100%. And, you know, that's a great term. I just wrote that down, player-led team. I was talking to a um, – I was talking to a – I have a friend who's an NFL uh, – he's been a head coach. He's been a defensive coordinator. And I met him when he was in uh, Charlotte as a, as a coordinator – with the Panthers, and they and he told me last week when we were talking, is that Luke Keekley and Thomas uh, Thomas Davis would say when somebody used the di- a different terminology, they they got to the point where they would say to them, "Hey, around here we talk, we have Panther talk. We all mm-hmm. talk the same. That's not Panther talk. That might be how you talked in Washington or Green Bay. Around here, either talk Panther talk or don't talk. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, so I think that 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 mentality. Uh, you know, is sport to sport. Absolutely. That's terrific. Hey, Steve, when uh, last summer at Coaching you, you did an amazing job. You taught the flash game. And I had I was so excited watching it. I came back and told Donnie, and we put uh, some of it in. Didn't work as well, but we put it in. Uh, <laughs> explain how you got to that. And I loved your entry with the big screening down for the other big and stuff as a way to pass the ball to the elbow. Could you explain that to our coaches? Yeah, well, the big to big pin down, you might remember, is when I first got in the league, uh, that was Rick Adelman, you know, with Vladi Divac and Chris Weber right. playing at the elbows with, you know, Mike Bibby and Stojakovic. Um, and those, that team that was so good, Turkaloo played on Turkaloo. that team, Doug yep. Christie. Um, and I spent time with Coach Adelman one, one afternoon in Vegas. Uh, he took me out on the floor and went through, like, you know, the basic teaching, the way he used to teach it. So that, that's why that we do it. And for our team here, 
fits us because um, Busevich is so skilled at the elbow, as is Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon is a terrific passer. So um, that's why we run some of that. The flash game itself, you know, people have used it, I think, in different, uh, different smaller parts of their offense for a year. I go all the way back to Mike Dunleavy. If you remember, it used to be Corey McGetty okay. throwing the ball to a big at the elbow and cutting off hard to get the ball back. And then um, now, you know, the guys that you would more correlate with Flash would be obviously would be Kyle Korver, uh, J.J. Redick. You know, where it's almost another aspect of the game. Uh, now Duncan Robinson with Miami, where they just have the ability. They can hit a big and sprint, literally sprint behind and raise up and shoot the ball. And so um, we've taken some of that and, you know, is, you know, build-in handoffs, late passes. Um, if you have a – I think it's like any other aspect of offense is – People will say, I, I get that, you know, people will watch an, a, a tape or something and say, you know, we tried it and it didn't work as well. Well, it's like a pick and roll. A pick and roll is only going to work when you have a good ball handler and a good screener. Flash is going to work is when you have a skilled guy passing and a skilled big. And I think the trick to offense is, is – to find those things, you know, you may only have one combination on your team that would be good at flash, but it is hard to guard. And to me, it doesn't take nearly the skill level off the dribble to play efficiently in as a pick and roll does. So, um, you know, that's why I like it. We had good success in Charlotte when people started blitzing Kemba Walker a lot. He went to flash game and it was much harder to blitz, and I will also say this, it's very difficult to switch flash action. I know yeah. a lot more people switch now. That's great. Donnie? Yeah, I think, uh, Coach, go ahead. If you got one more question, I know about you, Coach's time here right now. Go ahead and finish up with one more question for Coach okay. here. Closing here. Yeah. One of the things I love about your, your mentors who are so important to you, I'm lucky that they're friends of mine also, but not nearly to your extent. But you know, Jeff and Stan Van Gundy are incredible human beings, so selfless. But Tom Thibodeau, I think, is one of the people that people don't understand how gifted he is and what an amazing person he is, as well as a great, great teacher and coach. And I think we'll see him back in the game next season. But uh, and then Patrick Ewing, I always said that I learned more from my players. You stated it earlier than I, they ever learned from me. Patrick Ewing. I consider him, even though I never coached him, a great friend. And uh, and he's a hell of a coach. Talk about the people that surrounded you to help you. Uh, you know, th that was obviously the, the, the group that I grew up with. Um, starting in in um, New York, it was, you know, Tom um, working for Jeff, Kevin O'Neill, mm -hmm. uh, Jim Sand was on the staff, and, and um, Don Chaney you know, who I also worked for. And then when we went to Houston, um, obviously it, it was Tom and Patrick. Um, and, and the thing about Patrick is I think people are seeing it. They, they've seen it now is it doesn't surprise me uh, that people understand what a great coach he is because he worked at coaching the same way that he worked as a player. 
He's in there early every morning. He's watching film. He's on top of it. Um, he's a terrific communicator with players. Um, he's a good teacher, but he's very demanding, very demanding. You know, like it's the same thing. I, I think one of the things that is hard now is you, you, know, you talk about like how you're perceived as a coach. No matter what, the better players, they want to be coached. There's just a lot of guys now, in my opinion, you know, the younger guys coming into our league now, to me, they're more skilled off the dribble overall, and we have better, more range shooting, okay? What they don't want to do, they don't want to be coached as hard, they don't practice as hard, and they're not good as, the, as good at the team things as they were even six or seven years ago. Overall, basketball IQ has dropped simply because they don't stay in college long enough. Mm -hmm. so we're getting all these younger guys and what they don't understand is how to play. You know, you go back to your teams at Florida with, with Joe Keem and Al Horford shoot. Those guys are basketball geniuses. Well, they played for a great college coach and they had success. They played in big games. And now we're getting all these guys that are coming out after one year. And, you know, I talk to the coaches and you just, they don't have time to develop. Mm -hmm. Plus, I think the youth part of it, you know, when I first started recruiting in the summer, they played for their high school coaches. Mm -hmm. And when you went to watch them practice during the day in, you know, June and July, they were doing pivoting drills and passing drills. And now they're playing, you know, four AAU games a day, three mm -hmm. out, two in. you got to dribble seven times every time you catch it, I think, is the rule. And, <laughs> uh, you know, but the, if you talk to veteran NBA coaches, guys are still really good players but they don't know how to practice team things anymore. And they want individual coaches. They want skill coaches, not basketball coaches a lot. Um, and so that to me is, is the way a lot of that is gone, you know? Well, that's great coach. Well, I, I know you got a lot going on here and a lot of preparation here with a lot of anticipations coming up with the NBA here, uh, trying to decide what's next. And, uh, but we're cheering for you here, right up the road here in DeLand. And, you know, we'll be up to see you here hopefully soon. And um, when all this gets back, we're hoping to the new normal, whatever that may be. But we're honored to have you with us. We're big fans of you and, and uh, what you've done and much respect uh, over the years. And we just thank you for coming on and sharing your experiences, sharing your, you know, the times that you've uh, had from a college coach to a high school coach and now an NBA coach. And, uh, I know there's a lot of people here, especially in the state of Florida, that's really excited about having you here with us. So good luck to you as, as you move forward. Well, thank you, guys. It's great to be here. Congratulations on your year. We always follow the scores also, and uh, hopefully we can all get back here pretty soon and start getting back in the gym. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Coach. Thank so, you. Uh, thanks, thanks for being with us, Coach. I appreciate it. This is Coach Donnie Jones here with Stetson Basketball. Uh, until next week, 11 o'clock, uh, we'll be back with uh, Hatter Clinic. And until then, have a good day. We'll talk to you soon.